Welcome to the SSPX Podcast, delivering sermons, lectures, and the spoken word from across the English-speaking world. Today on the SSPX Podcast, questions with Father, with Father Paul Robinson, and three listener questions this week. Why is it that the apostles stood there and watched our Lord go up to heaven, and why did the angels kind of berate them a little bit? What's the story behind the ascension? Also, is it wrong to pledge allegiance to a country? Doesn't that contradict the first commandment? And in the same vein, why is it that the chosen people in the Old Testament had such difficulty with staying true to the first commandment when they had been shown so many miracles? These questions and more will be coming up right now and in the coming weeks on the SSPX podcast. As always, the podcast is free to listen to, but we gratefully accept any support that we are given. Please donate by going to sspx.gifts. Find Angelus Press, put a note in at the checkout for SSPX podcast. Your donations will greatly help us as we move forward with quality and with quantity. Also, if you have a question for Father that you would like answered on a future episode, you can submit it at info at sspx.org or send us a message on our Facebook page. Also, you can call in your question anytime at 724-252-8426. Now, here's Father Robinson. We are here with an edition of the SSPX podcast for the beginning of summer already for the Northern Hemisphere and joined by Father Robinson. Hello, Father. How are you? I'm well, Andrew. How are you doing? Doing very well. And I say Northern Hemisphere, of course, because Father is a professor at our seminary, the Holy Cross Seminary down in Australia. And uh, how is the term going for the seminarians right now? It's going quite well, Andrew. Uh, We're more than halfway through our first semester. And um, we're coming up on, a, on our semester break at the beginning of June. Um, and then when the seminarians get back, we'll pretty much soon after they get back, they'll start the final exams for the semester. Are they chomping at the bit for finals or, or maybe just more to get, get this semester over with? Um, they, they are not um, generally very excited about finals. <laughs> they they uh, enter the final examination period with great trepidation, um, especially those who have both are written in an ex- oral exam. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, that's that's a time when they are really uh, studying frantically to try to assimilate all the material. But, um, no, it's it's definitely a good experience, and I think they, they learn a lot at the final examination period because that's when they really assimilate the material. And and, and as a professor, Father, you, you expect that they will approach you with fear and trembling, right? <laughs> well, um, uh, not all fear is bad, you know. I mean, uh, <laughs> Fear, fear can be a great motivational tool. <laughs> right, right. Uh, maybe, maybe a bit like the uh, the God of the Old Testament that, that we see, uh, something like that. <laughs> well, I, I don't have a smoking mountain, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I can at least uh, threaten with with a bad grade. Well, that, that's almost as terrifying, Father. And uh, I guess that leads in, into our first question that was sent in uh, via email, and and it is about the God of the Old Testament. And the questioner asks. Why did the Jewish people have such a temptation with worshiping false gods when the power of the real God did amazing things right in front of them, like parting the sea, using a guiding pillar of fire, or sending manna down from heaven? And Father, I got to admit, I've asked the same question myself. Yeah, well, I, I can, we can definitely understand the perspective of the questioner. It just seems really dumb to believe that uh, a golden calf or or some sort of piece of pottery somehow has divine powers. It seems absolutely and utterly ridiculous to us. But I, I think we really have to understand the context 
of the uh, Jewish milieu, uh, especially the fact that they were a small nation and they were surrounded by many uh, powerful pagan nations who had the their false gods and who claimed that their false gods also had powers. And they claimed that they had proof that their gods had powers by the fact that they had so many military victories, uh, that they had such huge civilizations and, and so on. And so there was a certain attraction, a certain worldly and materialistic attraction associated with the pagan gods um, in the sense that the Jews would see the pagan religion as more or less, we would see the religion of the world today, sort of a, um, it would have the same enticement in the sense that the pagan religion would have certain guarantees associated with it that would attract the, the lower nature. So the pagan religion would say, look, our gods will give you victory. Uh, they will give you material success. Plus, you won't have those terrible commandments that you're having to follow as, as a Jew and uh, following the Mosaic law. You won't have these these uh, all of these detailed prescriptions about purifications and so on. Um, and plus, yeah, you, you will be able to have a good time. You will have a, a very pleasurable life because there is no moral boundaries. Um, so it's, it's really very similar temptation to the temptation we have today by all of the, the the materialistic things around us, whether it be the, the movies or commerce, going on the internet and buying whatever you want, the inundation that we have today of all of these material things. And I guess the the, the questioner and and I when I said I had the same question was, we read these stories, you know, we read the scriptures or we read the Bible stories, and it's you know you you hear the story about the Ten Commandments and you hear the story about being led out of out of Egypt. And then almost in the next breath, uh, it is said, and then they worshiped a, a golden idol. And then they, and then they betrayed uh, their, their faith in God. When we have to remember also, it was, it was 40 years that they were living in the desert, not hundreds, but 40. And that's still a long time. That's, you know, two generations. Uh, so those kinds of uh, concepts of, you know, forgetting about what, what God has done and, and the temptations of the world that we have today is, is fairly relevant to them. Yeah, definitely. And, there were definitely some Egyptians who followed them into the desert. I mean, that's that's famously depicted in Cecil DeMille's uh, Ten Commandments movie. But, you know, don't get your biblical facts from the movies. I'm not <laughs> right. suggesting that. But uh, <laughs> but um, there were there were definitely plenty of influences uh, around them to convince them to, or to try to convince them that the pagan gods were just as powerful as the God of Israel. And the common conception back then was that um, each territory had its own God. So, so there were, there were certain uh, supernatural powers associated with certain regions of the earth and that some of the gods were more powerful than others. And so it was a sort of competition of gods. And um, the real God was always trying to convince the Jews that there's only one God, and that was what distinguished their religion, and to worship him alone. But they were always being tempted to think that maybe these other gods, in fact, were real, and maybe as well that they were more powerful uh, than their God. And, and the fact that these other gods were saying, look, we will allow you to commit all kinds of immorality, and we will give you success in battle, all, all manner of material success uh, made that that sort of pagan god package more attractive to them in this in a similar way to where uh, the modern world would attract us to all of its pleasures and decadences and father we've been talking about 
our life today and and not that we worship other gods so to speak like the golden calf like the jews fell into but we have many temptations that compete uh, with our attention to god we don't normally think of of breaking the first commandment uh, when we think about being attracted to the world and, and having those kinds of pleasures. But that really is breaking the first commandment, isn't it? It, it is uh, indirectly. You know, we are, we're, we're definitely not wanting to deny the existence of the one God when we overindulge in materialism. But any commission of a mortal sin is really substituting some creature for God. We're, we're taking that creature and we're trying to say, you will be my happiness. Um, it's, it's similar, in fact, to that scene that you were just referring to, where they're making this golden calf and uh, they were saying, this this is the gods that have led you out of Egypt. It's not it's not the God on the mountain. It's, it's these gods who have led you out of Egypt. In other words, it's these gods who, in fact, are the ones who can give you ultimate happiness. And that's Kind of what we're doing when we fall into mortal sin with with the pleasures of the modern world. We're saying these pleasures, these things that the world gives us, in fact, are the real secret to happiness, and and they can provide me all that I want. Um, God's not going to be able to do that for me. Well, that's definitely definitely lessons that that we can take today, even from what four or five thousand years ago or so. It's hmm. a scary reminder to to keep the the, the concept of a terrifying terrifying God or fear of the Lord, right? Exactly. Our next questioner uh, talked about something that competes with our our beliefs and, and our faith. Uh, and he's asking, does patriotism compete with our beliefs and our Catholic faith? He asks, is there a contradiction between pledging allegiance to the flag of our country and holding Catholic beliefs? Shouldn't we only pledge allegiance to God? Or does the virtue of patriotism have anything to say about this apparent contradiction? Yeah, just as you say, I mean, I, I think th- this questioner is, is seeing patriotism as kind of like a, uh, a competitive God to the real God, um, just as these, these gods that were surrounding the Jewish people. But that's definitely not the case. It, this, is, this is a case where you, you pledge allegiance, uh, for instance, to, to your, your parents or uh, your, your wife, your, your, your children, um, to your country. But those are allegiances that um, are not in competition with God, but as long as they're sort of secondary to your allegiance with God. In other words, they're not incompatible with your allegiance to God. So worshiping another God uh, was definitely incompatible with worshiping the true God. But um, serving your country and honoring your parents, um, honoring your family, these things um, are things that God wants you to do. So pledging allegiance to them is, is not only not against God, it's, it's in fact fulfilling what God commands us to do in the, in the fourth commandment. And, and we, are, we are allowed to make these pledges. We are allowed to make these, I guess we could say a commitment or a pledge because purely the, the power and the authority that we are pledging to, whether it's our country or our parents, uh, that, that comes directly from God. And so that is perfectly in line with our faith. Absolutely. I think perhaps what the difficulty the questioner is struggling with is is to say, well, obviously, sometimes our the leaders of our country are, are not good, or even our parents are, are not so good. Um, so how can we pledge allegiance to them when they seem to be going against God? And I, I just think we have to make a distinction with that. And it's certainly the distinction we as traditional Catholics make with regards to our allegiance to the Pope. Um, it's just... We have a duty 
before God, as you say, um, to, to pledge allegiance to these figures because they have authority from God. So we must respect that authority and we, we must um, obey them as far as possible, as long as we don't put their authority above the authority, authority of God, as long as we have this priority where, where God is number one, the other authorities are subordinate to, to his authority, then that's, that's all good. So, you know, if, if you have a, a case just to, to throw out uh, an example, a hypothetical situation, you know, if, if, if my father was a, was a bank robber and, and he was in prison, well, mm-hmm. I mean, he's still my father and I, I still owe him allegiance, as it were. I still owe him respect. Um, and it would be good for me to, to go visit him on a regular basis and, and try to, to, to get him to repent and, and, and lead a good life. And my allegiance to him would, would certainly be subordinated to uh, God in that question, in that in that scenario. Whereas if if I sort of assisted my father to rob banks, then then my allegiance to to my father would be would be wrong. And so it's the same with our country. I mean, we don't want to follow our country in uh, sort of promoting abortion. We don't want to promote same sex marriage. We, if if our country is doing that, we're we're totally against that, and we lobby against that. But insofar as as a country is uh, provided us our our home. Um, and provided us our security in, in, in our life and has that authority, the God-given authority, then we must respect our country and love our country. And thankfully, uh, up, up to this point at least, uh, I'm, I'm always the eternal pessimist father, uh, it, is not, <laughs> it is not a law that, that we must commit an abortion, for instance. There's, that's not a, a positive law, so to speak, that our country has said, well, you must commit an abortion. Our country allows it. They've given a license to it. We do not commit a sin by uh, by, by living in this country, and, and we can still pledge our allegiance to this country because basically anything that, that is not sinful, we, we are bound to obey uh, following the example of, of our Lord who held himself subject to Mosaic law and, and the law of Rome essentially at the time, and even the apostles did. So we, we have that eye on respecting and, and obeying that authority, uh, but it doesn't mean that we agree with everything that happens. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, and that's that's perfect example. We as Catholics, because we acknowledge that God has supreme authority and there's no authority on earth, but what comes from him, when we see a government passing a law that is against God's law, we declare that that is no law, that is not a true law. Um, on the basis of the authority of God. So that is a, a concrete example of, of us placing the authority of God above the authority of men and keeping them in the proper subordination. Um, and as long as we do that, um, as I say, it's, it's not only not wrong for us to pledge allegiance to our country, it's, it's our duty and we would be offending God not to recognize the authority that he's given to uh, our country and its leaders. Interesting. Well, thank you for that clarification, Father. And and thankfully, we have priests like you, especially in the Society of Saint Pius X, who can assist us in in determining, you know, wh- where we are with uh, with some of these. Because the last thing you want is obviously anarchy. We don't want a, a bunch of citizens saying, "Well, nope, don't have to follow that. Don't have to follow that. Not going to do that." So, thank you, God, Father, for your guidance. It's so true. I mean, the, the revolutionary poison, I we may say, is is in all of us in in this modern age, and so we have to be very careful. Careful um, not to think that that revolution um, of itself is is a good thing. That's that's not the case. That's the, the spirit of the Enlightenment. That's everything we abhor. So we must obey as far as we are able to obey. That's that's the true Catholic spirit. Absolutely.
Well, we have a third question this week, Father, and this is about praying the rosary. Uh, The questioner writes, This comes up, Father, every time I pray the glorious mysteries. Regarding the ascension, St. Luke writes, uh, Men of Galilee, why stand you looking up to heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come as you have seen him going into heaven. He asks, It seems to me if our blessed Lord is coming back to us from heaven in the same manner in which he was taken up, as the apostles say, For the apostles to stand there and looking up at the sky, that seems like a logical thing to do. Why are the angels questioning what they're doing? What are they trying to tell them? Well, it's it's an interesting question, and I'm, I have to be I have to say I'm I'm edified that that the the questioner says, oh, every time I say the rosary, this is coming into my mind. It shows me that they're really making the effort to meditate on the rosary, which is really fantastic. Yeah. My sort of vision of, of what's what's going on there is you have um, our Lord lifting up into heaven, and then um, the apostles are watching him, and he goes up and up and up, and then he just disappears, and the apostles are just sort of staring at the clouds and they just stand there staring as if they're they're sort of expecting that maybe he's going to do a loop around the earth and come back or you know that right. he's gonna, he's gonna, somehow going to reappear any minute now that that he hasn't definitively left and then when they're when they're sitting there staring and thinking maybe he's going to come back all of a sudden they have these men in white uh, apparently men uh, standing beside them and saying to them, you know, wh- why are you looking up at heaven? This Jesus who you've seen going up, you know, he's not going to come back until the second coming at the end of the world. That's really when he's coming back, uh, not before them. So, you know, don't don't continue looking up at heaven and expecting him to come back any minute. It's not it's not going to happen any minute. It's only going to happen at the end of the world. So I, I think that's really what's what's going on there. They were just staring at, at the sky, thinking that maybe he was going to return or waiting for something else to happen. And the angel was just saying, you know, nothing else is going to happen because he's gone up to heaven. He's not going to return until the second coming. To kind of put it in a more modern term, I, term, I guess we could say the angel is going, all right, folks, show's over. Nothing nothing more to see here. <laughs> and, and Move on. Move, move on. on. And, and you know, Father, it, it related to this, it's something that's always made me smile a little bit. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the apostles, even just before the ascension, didn't they ask our Lord, well, now, or, now Lord, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom of, of Israel now? And... I, I always kind of imagine our Lord kind of shaking his head and going, guys, no, no, no. Uh, have you not been listening to me? Uh, it, it seems like they, they, even up to this point, even after, you know, seeing his passion and death and, and three years of learning from him and seeing him resurrected, they still didn't quite get it. And they needed that extra little nudge. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so painful to, to, to read that. Um, and you really see the patience of the Sacred Heart after the resurrection because they're so slow to understand, especially when they basically abandon our Lord. And, and yet when he comes back, he's so patient with them and explaining them and trying to get into their head, sort of the doctrine of the cross. Um, but just as you say, right, right before, they were expecting that this was the big moment when he was going to sort of seize political power, right. uh, when in fact it was the moment when, when he was leaving them definitively and was, was uh, wanting them to, to anticipate the establishment of the, of the spiritual kingdom uh, of the church. Uh, so totally different perspective. But our Lord answers in a, in a way, as I say, that's, that's extremely mild and patient, um, where, whereas you know, I, I would be uh, tempted to to 
basically lash out against you and say, you idiot, you still don't get it. Right, right. And, you know, these are the men, Father, and, and we're, we're kind of making fun of, of, the, of the apostles in, in a nice way, of course. But these are the men who, who started the church uh, after, after our Lord was gone. Uh, these, these are the men who established the, the earthly yeah. reign of, of the church. And mm-hmm. that, that shows so much divine providence. Uh, it's, it's similar. I always think back to a, a friend of mine who was ordained and, and became a priest. And I said, hey, Father, what is, what's the best thing and what's the worst thing about being a priest? You know, the, the questions you always ask a newly ordained priest. And he said, the answer is the same for both. Uh, the fact that I'm this rotten guy and I'm now a priest. It's both really beautiful and really terrifying. Uh, and I, I think the same about the apostles. These are men who are still questioning and didn't get it. And these are the men who have now established this 2,000-year uh, Catholic church that is now so rich. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's, I think the apostles... Um, are very comforting for me. It's very comforting for me to see the apostles in the Gospels and see how hopeless they are. Um, And then on the other side, how patient our Lord is with them. Um, As I say, it it reveals to us the the authentic uh, spirit of our Lord in, in the fact that, that he is, uh, he works with them where they are. He does not berate them. Um, he's, he's very patient with them. And we can just say, well, it's the same with us. I mean, we are the apostles. We are the, the, the same ones who just refuse to understand the doctrine of the cross and take, are so slow to, to realize what is really um, the, the plan of our Lord for our spiritual prophet, which is that we bear our, our sufferings in this life patiently and that we, we really triumph over the world uh, by virtue. That's, that's the way to do it. And um, it's, it's a hard lesson to be learned, but our Lord is willing to be patient with us and slowly but surely lead us to, to that understanding. And this has kind of been the theme today uh, that we've talked about, if we can tie these all together, Father, and, and that is uh, our Lord's patience and, and his, his mercy. Even the, the Jews in the desert and fell into betraying that, that first commandment and then the apostles not quite getting it and our Lord is being so patient. That's, it, gives, it gives me a lot of hope, personally. It gives me a lot of uh, courage that you know, even if I do fall, that God is going to be there and he's going to have mercy and patience with me, uh, as long as I have the right intention, of course. Absolutely. You know, I mean, God has uh, a patience that's transcendent to our own patience uh, because of the fact that if, if God has anything, he definitely has time. I mean, he's in right. eternity. So um, he's he's willing to wait and he's got all moments in, in his in his hands. So um, he's always uh, using each moment of, of time um, according to our situation to try to touch us and, and move us to the, the next level. And he doesn't, he doesn't hold a grudge. I mean, if we, if we mess things up, it doesn't mean he's not going to continue to work with us. This is just a beautiful thing for us to reflect upon that, and which is, which is so evident when our Lord takes flesh and, and walks on this earth. We have these stories of the gospel that really teach us um, what God is. And uh, as they say, it's it's extremely comforting for us, and it gives us that, that hope, which is so necessary for us to persevere in our pursuit of sanctity. Absolutely. Well, Father, thank, thank you for helping us dive into these questions. Uh, I know our listeners are appreciative of that. We look forward to chatting with you again, and uh, we have more questions on the way, and look forward to having uh, your feedback and your guidance on those. I'm happy to, to do it, Andrew, and um, thanks for having me on for another episode. All right. Thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the SSPX podcast. 
As always, if you have questions that you would like answered, please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 724-252-8426 or submit your question at info at sspx.org. Also, an easy way to help this apostolate, if you don't have the ability to donate, is just to subscribe and rate the podcast using whatever service you already use, whether it's Stitcher, iTunes, or any other program. Or if you are able, please consider making a monthly donation, sspx.gifts, find Angelus Press, and put a note in at checkout for the SSPX podcast. Your donation of $5, 10 $15 a month helps us quite a bit as we try to grow this apostolate and share the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. <laughs>